you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ephesians 6. Begin reading with verse number 10. Lord willing, next Wednesday we will conclude our study of this portion of Scripture. I hope that something has been said that has enlightened your mind and given you a fresh vision, appreciation for the blessings of God and His provision. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Underline that. Of God. The whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles there means cunning devices. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Interesting. The high places that are mentioned there are actually places of authority. Wherefore, knowing this, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and above all taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And everybody said, Amen. That wasn't everybody. Now let me rephrase that. I want all of you to say amen. amen. Thank you. Now you didn't understand it. You thought I meant all of you. No, I meant all of you. <laughs> all of you. Not a half-hearted, not a lay-me-down-to-sleep kind of thing, but all of you say amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Someone has observed that as a pilgrim, we walk, as a witness, we talk, as a contender, we run, but as fighters, we stand. Paul concludes his letter to the Ephesian believer and to us with a warning and with an admonition. He reminds the believer that Satan is actively working against you. That is something we should always bear in mind, that many of the things that happen to us in life are a direct result of the enemy that we face. 
All of his energies are focused on us. And certainly he would like to frustrate God's purpose in my life. He will attack you and he will oppose you and he will attempt to cripple you if possible. And so the Lord has introduced to us a means by which we can prevail. Against the enemy of our soul, God has equipped us with an armor that is sufficient. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, the spirit, salvation, and prayer are mentioned as part of that arsenal we have against this enemy. There are a lot of interpretations that have been given about this armor, but I share with you again tonight, my my concern has not been with the armor itself, but what it what it protects. Perhaps the most overlooked and the most important part of our whole reading tonight is that Paul prescribes this armor to enable us to stand. Obviously, Paul understood that it was going to take a lot of enduring to make it. And you're going to have to outlast and overcome the enemy and every attack that comes against you. And so, the assurance of the word is that his armor is sufficient. I love that. It's sufficient against any kind of attack. Everybody say any. I mean any kind of attack. It's not only sufficient against any kind of attack, but it's sufficient for every kind of attack. Viewed from that perspective, what divine resources we have been given to enable us to live victoriously. There is no excuse for me to fail because God has given me sufficient armor for my protection. And so tonight we come to the next to last consideration of this armor. And it reads in verse 17 like this. And take the helmet of salvation. One translator said, let God's Saving power be like a helmet. Another said, and you will need the helmet of salvation. I want to first draw your attention to the word take. Because it is significant in that it is different from the word that Paul had just used a few verses earlier when he spoke of taking this armor of God. But the word that is used here in verse 17 is unique and only used here, and it literally means to receive or to accept something. When you consider that, you understand that what God is offering you is a divine gift. Amen. Everybody say a divine gift. A divine gift. He said receive the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. 
The helmet is one of the few pieces of the soldier's armor that has stood the test of time. The earliest helmets that have been found in the ruins of Nimrod were of iron and copper. The Roman helmets were made of leather and overlapping metal. They were close-fitting skull caps that covered the forehead and they reached down to the nap of the neck. They had plates that were protecting the cheeks and there were bands that were about the forehead and around the neck or the collar so that it would protect the neck. From antiquity all the way down to the 21st century, in warfare the helmet has survived. Although many other things about warfare have changed, it still remains very much the same as it always has and it's still in use. And any soldier who goes to battle knows the immense value of that helmet. It was worn by the soldier who fought for a Pharaoh. It was worn by the soldier who fought for David. It was worn by the soldiers who fought for Caesar and those who fought for William of Normandy and Napoleon of France and even our modern-day generals, they are worn in combat. The helmet was necessary to the completion of the military picture because with this brazen and iron helmet upon his head, the warrior could stand unhurt in the midst of the worst kind of battle. And he could stand with his head protected and fight the good fight. He could come out of that battle uninjured from the storm of attack. And so the apostle very appropriately, when pointing out the equipment of the warrior, designates the helmet as a vital piece of our armor. No suit of armor could be complete without a protection for the head. Amen. Our heads need protection. And if I've ever told you anything you need to write down in your soul, you better write that one down. Our heads need protection. The head or the mind, according to Scripture, was described in many ways. There was no single Hebrew word for the head or mind. Even in the New Testament Greek, there were several different things that were used to express the mind because the mind was such a powerful thing. Scientists claim that the most complicated and mysterious thing in the universe is the human brain. Scientists know more about stars and about the exploding billions of stars light years away than they know about the human brain. The brain is the center of the human nervous system, controlling our thoughts and our movements and our memories and our decisions. The brain is protected not by one bone, but a skull that is made up of 22 different bones overlapping for protection. 
The surface area of the human brain is between 230 and 470 square inches. And yet that small piece of matter that only weighs about 3 pounds consists of approximately 100 billion neurons, which is as many cells as there are stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And in each neuron has somewhere between 1,000 and 10,000 snaps, which equals about one quadrillion of those things. And in all the neutrons in the human body, if they were lined up in a single line, they would stretch for over 600 miles. They say that one piece of brain tissue the size of a grain of sand contains 100,000 neurons and 1 billion synapses, all talking to one another and communicating with clarity. No wonder Paul or, or David said, I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. The human brain has around 100,000 miles of blood vessels. There are more than 100,000 chemical reactions happening in the human brain every second. Every second. The human brain can process information as fast as 268 miles per hour. Now, folks, I don't know where you come from, but that's fast for me. Experts, experts estimate that in a lifetime, a human brain may retain one quadrillion separate bits of information. Now, if you don't know what one quadrillion means, that means one with 22 zeros behind it. And you thought that that little thing sitting on your shoulders was just for beauty. The human mind, the head. Someone said that it is the greatest ruling member of the body because it is the integrating center of your body. It is what takes emotions and will, and desires, and intellect, and brings them all together in a harmony and in a sense of purpose so that what you do in life makes sense. The head or the mind is the control center of life, and it has been called the citadel of the soul. For it is the head or the mind that is the governing element of life. For it is the head that commands the whole body. It is the head that commands all of the functions of the body. The head is the faculty that makes choices and is responsible for a person's course in life. According to Proverbs 27 and 19, the mind reflects a person's true being. For the writer said, as the waters reflect the face, so the heart 
or the mind that is that the word that is used in the Hebrew. So the mind reflects the person. Think about that. As the water reflects the face, so the mind reflects the person. The head or the mind is too important to leave unguarded and unprotected. A blow to the head can bring the strongest body down. And so it is essential that we understand the purpose of a helmet of salvation. And since the remotest times of man, they have made sure that in warfare, their heads were covered and their heads were protected. The defense of my head is one of the greatest matters of importance to my life. Because what goes on up here is going to govern what goes on here and everywhere else in my life. An unprotected mind is open and prey to any attack of the enemy. Your head or your mind is one of the greatest resources of your life. It's not your strength because your strength is dependent on your head. If something short circuits up here, it doesn't matter what kind of body you've been building up. It doesn't matter how many weights you can lift. If something goes on up here, all of that is void. That's what strokes do to a person. Strokes do something in the brain that circumvents the normal response of the body so that muscles that were strong and functional suddenly become spastic and unusable. Your head, your mind, is one of the greatest resources that you have at your disposal. And no wonder the writer said, as a man thinketh, so is he. Say, my head needs protection. My head needs protection. A covering. Amen. My head needs a covering. I thought it was interesting that in Scripture, the mind is spoken of in several ways. When Scripture speaks about the mind, one of the things that it has in mind is that the mind is the place of memory. Psalms 77, 11, and 12 said, I will Remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. I believe that one of the devil's chief things is to try to help me or cause me to forget what God has done in my life. One of the things that he works on continually is to try to convince me that my memory is faulty and God has not been as good to me as he really has. And somebody said, Amen. The the devil will challenge the memory of God's child. He will challenge the memory of God's past work. 
and he will bring false accusations before your mind about what God really did do in your past. Amen. Romans 1.28 speaks about a reprobate mind. When I first read that word, it was such a sobering word to me because I was fearful of that. I got to studying what a reprobate mind was and the definition is simply a godless mind. It is a mind that has factored out God from the past, from my memory, from whatever goes on up there in all of those neurons and everything else that God has put there to help me, the enemy of my soul is going to try to attack my mind. And he's going to come against my memory. And what I remember is not always going to be what really was. I, I know, I, I, I think it's interesting that sometimes at funerals, when you hear people talking about the deceased, you have to go up and take another look in the casket because the person you remember isn't the person that they're talking about. The devil hates the fact that you have a memory because that memory is one of your greatest aids. It's a bridge over troubled water. When you can't do anything else, you can meditate on the goodness of God in your past. None of us would be here tonight except by the grace of God. None of us would be alive tonight if God had not provided. So you and I need to make sure that we have on a protection for our memory. The second thing that was inferred about the mind was that it was the seat of our disposition. It was the place of our outlook, our mood, our temperament, our attitude, our leanings, and our likings. And so again, the devil comes to corrupt the mind. So how does he corrupt the mind? He plants in there things that will contradict God's purpose for my life. And he suggests to me things that are contrary to God's will for my life. 2 Timothy 3 and 8 and 1 Timothy 6 and 5 talk about the corrupted mind, a spoiled mind, a mind whose outlook and mood has been altered from what it ought to be to look at life from a negative and a foreboding perspective. God didn't want me to live afraid. He wants my temperament to be under his control. Amen. He wants my attitude to be under his control. Oh, yeah, I'm going to visit this place a little while. He wants my moods to be under his control. He wants over my moodiness a helmet of salvation. Amen. He wants over my temperament a helmet of salvation. He wants over my leanings and my likings a helmet of salvation. The third thing that was mentioned is that the mind is the place of reason or purpose or aim or objective. The seed of discernment, of judgment, of perception, the ability to distinguish between good and evil, right and wrong. It is the it is the mind where where we make sense of things. 
the devil works to cloud that mind. Amen. The devil works to cloud. Ephesians 4.18.2.3 says that he works to darken the mind. That's the same thing, just darken the mind. Make a shadow come across God's goodness to you. Make a shadow fall across God's provision. Make, make it look less than what it really is. The fourth thing that is mentioned is that in the mind it is the place of direction. It's the seat of intention. It's where I set the course of my life. It's the place where I map out where I'm going and I set my actions in motion. It is where I begin to set my bearings. No wonder Peter said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. There's a lot goes on up here in this head. No wonder the devil fights your mind and mine more than anything else. Because the mind is the powerhouse of promise and purpose for my life. And when that mind is under the right influence, it is capable of doing great things of having great attitudes, of having better moods, of having transformed temperaments, when that mind is under the control of his spirit. The devil attacks our mind because he knows and recognizes the potential that is in the mind. Why? Because Paul said, it is with the mind I serve. It is with the mind that I serve. And so tonight it is with you. If you have a mind to work, you can work. Amen. If he can wound your mind, he will. If he can tie up your mind, he will. If he can confuse your mind, he will. You see, this is what I've learned about spiritual life. The devil doesn't have to tie up my body for me to be bound. If he can tie up my mind with worry and stress and fear and doubt and unbelief, if he can tie up my mind with pettiness, with a low sense of self-esteem, if he can tie up my mind with rebellion, he doesn't have to tie up my body. Because a corrupt mind is never going to fulfill the purpose of God. And a darkened mind is never going to see the promises of God come to pass. Amen. The only thing that can protect my mind is the salvation that God has provided for me. So let's talk about that for a minute. Don't get bored on me yet. You need to hear what I'm fixing to tell you. This is the most important part. Biblical salvation describes the full range of divine activity on my behalf. Salvation denotes the whole process by which man is delivered from all that would prevent him attaining the highest good that God prepared him for. 
Salvation denotes not only the deliverance, but the enjoyment of the good that God brings to my life. In the Hebrew and in the Greek, the word for salvation implies the idea, get this, deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, and soundness. Salvation is that great inclusive word of the gospel that gathers everything that God has done for me in redemption and puts it in my possession and says, Now, this is what I've done for you, and this salvation can protect you from every assault of the enemy. Amen. Salvation reaches to justification and redemption and grace and forgiveness and sanctification and propitiation and imputation and glorification. That's the power of the Holy Ghost. Salvation reaches further than just delivering me from evil. It communicates to my weakness and it communicates to my emptiness the blessings that God has provided me through grace. No wonder Paul said, and take the helmet of salvation. Amen. Everybody needs a covering for their head. You see, the helmet refers to a mind that is protected and controlled by God. What God has done. When God controls the mind, Satan cannot lead me astray. Listen to me. When God protects my mind, it is what God has done for me in redemption, not what I have done for myself that keeps me. You need to hear that. You see, a lot of you are struggling, and and I struggle with it as well. That salvation a lot of times is dependent on me, on what I do, on how well I do, on whether I perform or I don't perform. But salvation is not dependent on what I have done. Salvation is dependent on what he has done. And you may not get the the message tonight, but this is important because that's where the devil has a playground. Because from the very beginning, if you go back to the Garden of Eden and you watch how he interacted with Eve, you will find him going after the mind. He is going after what was in the mind of that woman. And so he begins with the subtle suggestion that maybe God didn't mean what he said. And what God said wasn't really all there was to be said. And so the devil plays on the human mind by trying to make this about you or me when really it's about the Lord. And when you take the helmet of salvation, you are taking into your life a protection that the devil has no remedy for. And if he can get you hung up, on what you can do, or what you can't do, or what you did do, or what you didn't do, or what you should have done, 
or you could have done. He will get you tripped up because salvation is not about what you can do. Salvation is about what he has already done. And it's purchased. It's bought. It's paid for. You don't have to do anything to earn it. It comes to you by grace. And that salvation is my protection from my mind. I don't know if that will do anything for you or not, but it's done wonders for me. Because every time I've ever fought a battle with the devil, it's always been over who I am. You're not who you think you are. You're not saved. I heard what you said to that brother or sister. I saw what you did last week. You're not redeemed. That's all you doing that. That's all in your head. No, it's all covered in my head. By a helmet of salvation. Every time I've ever run into a battle with the devil, he attacks me with what I have. That it ain't all that. That out there in the world is something a whole lot better. And so people give up life for death. Figure that one out. People give up life for death. The wages of sin are what? Death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Everlasting life. You explain to me how somebody would give up life for death. I'll tell you how. It's because something's going on up here that's convinced them that what God has promised is not true. Or what God said he has done was not done. Or what God did wasn't for you. And his blood can cover everybody else's sins, but it's not sufficient to cover yours. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And the only protection against that kind of assault is a helmet called salvation. Not what I've done. You know, that's the glory of being a child of God. When you come to the altar, you can come to the altar and lift your hands and not say, God, look at what I am, but God, look at what you've done in my life. What I was before you found me was broken, lost, blind, hopeless, cowardly, but here I am tonight. I've got boldness. I've got courage. I've got strength. I've got determination. I've got a made-up mind, and it's not because of me, but it's because of what you have done in my life through salvation, through redemption, through purchasing me, through buying me back, for telling me that I have value and worth. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. The devil comes against me and he attacks my mind of what God has promised me. He'll make you doubt what God's promised you. He'll make you wonder because time passes and it doesn't come to pass. Did God really mean what he said? You hear me tonight. God means everything he said and God keeps every promise that he makes. And that promise doesn't have to just be written in the word. That promise can be written in your heart. And God will keep his promise. But the devil, he's going to work on that mind. He's going to make you question whether that promise will come to pass. That's why when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he talked about putting on the helmet, which is the hope of salvation. 
There's something about salvation that puts something in you that reaches for something better. That's what hope is. Hope says things may not be like I like it, but because of what he's already done, because of the price he's already paid, because of the blood he's already shed, because of the stripes he's already received, there's a better day for me coming. There's a better promise coming down the road. There's better hope for tomorrow. I don't have to die in my dilemma. I don't have to be lost in my sin. I can be redeemed. I can be saved. I can be filled. Hallelujah. The only saving grace for the mind is salvation. It will guard the most vital part of your life. And it will enable you to stand fearlessly in the day of battle. And not be afraid. Amen. Not be afraid of the entrance of cowardly and unworthy fears. But knowing that what he did was sufficient. Amen. There are two things that will make the head hang down. Fear and shame. Two things. And the work of redemption has taken care of both of those. He came to take fear out of my heart. And he came to take my shame away. Who should be afraid to come to him And say, Lord, I need you. I need a fresh touch of your hand on my life today. I need the work of salvation. You know, salvation is actually three parts. You were saved. Saved from sin. The guilt of sin. You are being saved through a process of sanctification And you're going to be saved in one day where there will be an ultimate triumph over everything that's against you. So it's not just something that happened a long time ago. And you look back at that moment, but every day you get up, you say, you know what, Lord, I thank you for saving me. And I thank you for keeping me saved today throughout whatever's going to come to me. I've got a protection What you have done, what you have purchased, the redemption, the blood, all of that is sufficient to keep me from the attack of the enemy. I believe that's where pleading the power of the blood over your life comes into play. What can wash away my sin? What can wash away my sin? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the deepest valley. It covers the worst sin. It's not about you. It's about Him. (laughs) Hallelujah! That ought to make you stand up and lift your hands and say, Thank you, God. I've failed you, but you've never failed me. I've fallen short, but you've never fallen. You have never disappointed me one time in my life. Woo! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Keep standing. I don't know if you're through or it's just time to shut up.
Oh, God, help me to get that helmet of salvation. Praise God. That's the only protection for a troubled mind. Amen. The only thing that will run fear and shame away is the fact of what God has done for you in your life. Amen. It's what will enable you to hold your head up. Amen. I don't come because I'm worthy tonight. My Lord, if I came in here based on that, I'd be crawling under the pews tonight. As a matter of fact, if it was worthiness that allowed me to come in, I wouldn't even be on property tonight. I'm not here because I'm worthy. I'm here because He is. And He said, I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. I'm going to pay a price. I'm going to redeem your soul. And then I'm going to take that salvation and I'm going to form it into a helmet that can place on your head so that wherever you go, your mind can be protected by the thought, Jesus died for me. He died for my sin. (laughs) He died for my weaknesses. He died for my ugliness. He died for all of the bad things that I've ever done. And if he would die for me, the least that I can do is live for him. If he would die for me, the least that I could do would be serve him. I don't know, but I feel like somebody's head's hanging down tonight. And it's hanging down because the devil has tried to get you focused on what you didn't do or what you couldn't do or what you should have done. Or maybe he's even tricked you into thinking that all that stuff God promised you, that's just, that's just a fairy tale. I want you to lift your head up because your redemption's drawing nigh. I want you to lift your head up because the helmet of salvation can protect you against those things. Lord, I don't come to the altar tonight because I'm worthy to come. I come because of what you did at Calvary. I come because of the blood that you spilled at Calvary. I don't come into this place to lift up my voice and worship because I'm worthy. I come to do it because you're worthy. I come to do it because nobody can help me but Jesus and nobody can save me but his blood hallelujah come on praise him with me right now hallelujah 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 Lord protect my mind cover my mind oh yes 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 